All right, well, we're there in Job, uh, chapter number 8, and of course, on Wednesday nights, we are uh, studying the book of Job, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, walking through the book of Job, and if you remember, the book of Job, uh, the, the majority of the book is uh, a conversation that Job is having with his friends, and the conversation is not going very well, and uh, of course, we've been looking at that and studying that, and in chapter 8, we have the second of the three friends who begins to speak, and this is, of course, Bildad, uh, the Shuhite, and uh, what I want to rem- remind you in regards to uh, his friends, because if you remember, when we get to the end of the book of Job, uh, God says that, every- that his friends were wrong. God says that, that they're, they're wrong in, in their judgments and in their assumptions, um, and what you need to understand about their friends is not everything they say is wrong. There are some things they say that are completely wrong, and I'm going to show that to you tonight. There are other things they say that are correct, they're true, but they're not true about Job. So they're true principles, uh, but they're applying them uh, in the wrong way or to the wrong person. And in this chapter, we have Bildad speak, and the, the, the main theme that I see in this chapter is that Bildad uh, makes a series of assumptions. In fact, he makes seven assumptions that I want to show you in this chapter uh, tonight, and all of them are wrong. And something I have learned over the last 10 years of ministry uh, as a pastor for 10 years, and my wife in ministry being a pastor's wife for 10 years, we, we've, we've done a lot of counseling and we've done a lot of uh, trying to resolve conflict. And one thing that I've learned is that oftentimes the... Uh, root of conflicts uh, has to do with a lot of assumptions. People make assumptions, and an assumption is something that has not been necessarily stated to you, has not been communicated to you, has not been proven to you, you've not seen it, but because of some circumstantial things, you just assume certain things. You don't know that they're true, but you go forward with them as if they are true. And often it is assumptions that are the root of uh, conflict, not all of the time. But what I've also learned is this, that oftentimes when we make assumptions, our, our assumptions are wrong. Uh, we make assumptions without having all of the information, and then when that information is brought to light, it's like, oh, well, I didn't know that. And this is why we need to be careful when it comes to making assumptions. We need to be careful when it comes to making judgments uh, without knowing the entire situation. And here, Bildad makes seven assumptions, and I'll show you that all seven are wrong. And what I found is that in, even outside of the Bible, just in regards to you and in regards to me, when we make assumptions, we're usually wrong. We usually make mistakes. We don't see the full picture. We tend to, as human beings, to only see things from our perspective. And this is all, you know, marriage counseling, and hopefully that helps you. I don't know. But look at these issues here uh, with uh, Bildad. I want to give you seven uh, assumptions that he makes. You're there in Job chapter 8, look at verse 1. The Bible says this, Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long wilt thou speak these things? And how long shall the words of thy mouth be like 
a strong win. So they're just kind of, they've already made some decisions about Job, and they're tired of hearing Job uh, speak against that or try to prove them wrong. And he begins to make these assumptions. And if you'd like to write this down, I'd encourage you to write seven, seven assumptions here from Bildad. Number one, uh, the first thing that Bildad does is he, that he assumes, and, and some of this is unique to Bildad. Some of them is going to be uh, things that they all, all of his friends do. Uh, but the first thing that Bildad does is that he assumes that God is judging Job. And look look at verse 3 there, Job chapter 8 and verse 3. The Bible says, Doth God pervert judgment? And the word pervert means to distort or to uh, corrupt. And here's what he's saying. What Bildad is saying is, when God judges, does God distort judgment? Does he corrupt judgment? Does he ever make wrong decisions in regards to his judgment. This is what Bildad is saying to Job. He says, Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? He says, Does this Almighty God, does he distort, does he corrupt, does he make ju- get justice wrong? And this is what I mean when I tell you, of course, if the question is, Doth God pervert judgment? If the question is, doth the Almighty pervert justice? The obvious answer is no. And this is, this is true that God does not pervert judgment and that the Almighty does not pervert justice. You say, then what's wrong with what Bildad is saying? What's wrong with what Bildad is saying is that he is assuming that God is judging Job. That's what he's saying to Job. He's saying, Job, you are being judged by God and you're acting like you're righteous. You're acting like you don't deserve this. You're acting like, you know, this is uh, not as a result of your sin. Because if you remember what they're accusing him of is that you've got some major sin in your life, Job. And Job is saying, hey, you know, I, I'm, I, there, there's no major sin in my life that, that has brought this about. And, and so Bildad is saying, well, look, God does not pervert judgment. The Almighty does not pervert justice. Those are true statements. Here's the untrue assumption. God is obviously judging you, Job, so you must be wrong. And you know what we can learn from this is that you and I are not God. We can sit there and pretend as if we have the knowledge of the universe and we like to do this. We like to look at other people's lives, to look at other people's churches, to look at other people's ministries, to look at other people's families, to look at other people's marriages and see things happen and say, well, I can tell you why. Here's the thing, you're not God. And and you say, well, this is happening because, you know, we must be careful to make assumptions to make judgment calls, even when the judgment call is that God is judging someone. Because the truth of the matter is, you don't know. And I don't know. And though it's true that God does not pervert justice, uh, judgment, and that the Almighty does not pervert justice, the truth is this, you honestly don't know when God is judging someone. Now, obviously, God judges. God corrects. When people make grievous sins, uh, God will uh, give them consequences. But you and I don't necessarily know that. So we need to be careful not to be like Bildad's, uh, uh, like Job's friend here, Bildad, and, you know, a holier than thou, and say, well, I know God is judging you, Job, when the truth was that we know that God was not judging Job, that Job had done nothing wrong. 
Notice the second assumption uh, that he makes here. And this is, this is one where Bildad is just completely wrong. This is not like, he, this is true, but it's not true of Job. This is just not true at all. This is something that Bildad assumes to be true, but it's not true. Job chapter 8, look at verse 4. He says, if. Now, he, he's, 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 he's applying this to Job, but he's saying, look, Job, this is true of, of a situation. He says, if thy children have sinned against him. Now, remember that Job just lost all ten of his children. And he's already been told by other friends that the reason that they were killed was because of his sin. Now he's going to be told that the reason that they were killed was because of their sin. He says, If thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away, and again, keep in mind that uh, he's, they're dead. And the term cast away there can be a reference to like throw away, to reject, or to, to kill, to put to death, to cut off. He says, if thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for their transgression, the word transgression is sin, sin is the transgression of the law, the Bible says. So he, he says, if your children sin and God cast them away because of their sin, because of their transgression, that's an assumption in and of itself that they died because of their sin. We know that's not true, that they didn't die because of uh, their sin. They died because God is allowing these trials to come into the life of Job. But I want you to notice the assumption they make about Job, verse 5. He says, If thou wouldest seek unto God be times. Now that word be times, it's an older word uh, that we don't use a lot today, but it means early. It means uh, 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 early. It means to do it early in the event of something or in the lifespan of something. He says, If thou wouldest seek unto God be times and make thy supplication to the Almighty. And he, and he goes on, and, and we're, we're going to cover that, but I want you to understand what he has said so far. Here's what he said. He said, Job, your children died because of their sin. Obviously, there was some major sin, if not in your life, then in their life. That's why they're dead. But let me tell you something, Job. If, if you would have made supplication. What does it mean to make supplication? It's another word for prayer. It's, an, it's, it's to go to God on behalf of. He says, if thou wouldest seek unto God be times and make thy supplication to the Almighty. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Job, if you would have just prayed for your kids, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, your kids are obviously sinners. They did something terrible. And you know what, Job? It's too little, too late. This is what Bildad is saying. It's completely wrong. He's saying, you're, you're praying now, but it's too late. If you would have prayed B times, Job, if you would have prayed earlier, if you would have prayed for your kids, Job, this wouldn't happen. Here's the interesting thing. Go back to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, and of course in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, we have the narratives. In Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, we have the narratives of the life of Job. And the interesting thing is that one of the things that the Bible tells us about Job is this. Job chapter 1, verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent them called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so. When the days of their feasting were gone about, so they had these parties. The siblings 
were having these parties where they were getting together. Well, this is a good thing for a family to get together and they're, they're fellowshipping together. It says in verse 5, And it was so when the days of their feastings were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. Who's the them there? His children, notice, and rose up early. You know that? You, you know what another word for early is? Be times. He rose up betimes in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continue. Here's what's really interesting. Bildad says to Job, You know what? It's probably that your sons sinned. And if you would have rose up early and prayed for them, Job, this wouldn't have happened. What's funny is that the Bible tells us that Job rose up early and prayed for his kids. Just in case they sin. And here's all I want you to understand. You have Bildad making an assumption that he's completely wrong about. So be careful with your assumptions. Well, I know that my husband would. Do you really know that or do you just think that? Well, I know that if my wife. I know that if my in-law. I know that if pastor. Well, really? Have you talked to pastor? Well, I know that, Miss Joint. Have you asked Miss Joint? Just here's all, here's all I'm telling you. Be careful with your assumptions. Because Bildad makes this oh, Joel, I know that if you were to pray, and Joseph is thinking to himself, I did pray. <laughs> but you didn't know that. You didn't even ask. You just assumed. And all I'm telling you is this it's just interesting that Bildad makes a series of assumptions and he's wrong on all of them. I don't blame Bildad because Job is a unique person because the truth of the matter is that you could assume that most parents don't pray for their kids and you'd be right. So here's an application for you, mom and dad. Don't let that assumption be made about you and it be right. Make sure you raise up early and be timed and pray for your children. And I've said this before, if you don't pray for them, who, who do you expect will? If mom and dad aren't praying for their kids... Who in the world will? Go back to Job chapter 8. Let me show you the third assumption. The first assumption, Bildad assumes that God is judging Job, and he's wrong. The second assumption is that Bildad assumes that Job did not pray for his children, and he's wrong. He even says, you should have done it early, and the Bible says he did it early. The third assumption is this, Job chapter 8, verse 6. He says, if... If, because Bildad, you know, he just knows everything. He's got it all figured out. If thou wert pure, here's what he's saying. He's saying you're not pure, because if you were pure and upright. Here's what he's saying. Job, you're not upright. Because if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make thy habitation of thy righteousness Prosperous. Here's what Bildad is saying. He's saying, Job, if you were pure and upright, then God would help you, and he would make you prosperous. And by the way, this is a theme we'll look at through the entire book of Job, but look, Bildad is preaching a prosperity gospel. He says, if you were pure and upright, Job, God would make, look look, look at the last part of verse 6, make the habitation of thy righteousness prosper. Look, today, there are many preachers that will say, oh yeah, you know, just follow the Lord and God's going to make you rich. I mean, the Kenneth Copelands, the Joel Osteens, 
They'll say, God's just going to make you rich. God's going to make you prosperous. God's going to prosper you. Well, here you have Bildad saying that to Job, and that's wrong. And here's the assumption. He says, if thou were pure and upright. He says, you know what, Job? You know what I know? I know that you are not upright. And that's why this is happening to you. Here's what's interesting. Go back to Job chapter 1. The word upright means a person that is honorable or honest. Someone who is not crooked. Someone who's doing correctly, doing rightly. The interesting thing is that Bildad says, Job, you're not upright. Here's what's really interesting. That God describes Job three different times, and in every description, God says, Job, let me tell you, let me tell you something about Job. He's upright. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and, don't miss it, upright. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. Here we have God describing Job. And you know one, one word that he uses to describe him is upright. Then in verse 8 of the same chapter, Job chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Satan, now this is God speaking to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? He says, what do you think about Job? He says, what about that Job? Well, what about that Job? Well, you know what? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and then, here's our word, upright man. One that feareth God and is true with evil. Go to Job chapter 2, look at verse 3. When they're in round 2 of the trial phase, Job chapter 2 and verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man. Look, God describes Job three different times, and in all three different times he says, let me tell you something about Job, he's upright. Let me tell you something, Job is upright. You know what? Job is an upright man. And then Bildad comes along, he says, if you were just upright, this would have never happened to you. And Bildad makes an assumption about Job. That's not true. And here's what I'm telling you. There's one theme to this, this, this sermon. I'm going to give you seven examples, but there's one theme. It's this. Be careful with your assumptions. Somebody comes up to you and says, let me tell you about Sister So-and-so. What about Sister so She's not upright. Hey, well, how do you know that? Well, I don't really know, but you know, this happened and that happened. I get this weird feeling. Okay, are you one of Job's friends now? We have visions I just get around them and I get this weird feeling. Just be careful with your assumptions. Because while others are saying Job is not upright, God is saying Job is upright. There's a fourth assumption. Go back to Job chapter 8. Look at verse 6. The first assumption was that God was judging Job. Not true. The second assumption was that Job did not pray for his children. Not true. The third assumption was that Job was not upright. Not true. The fourth assumption is that Job will not end well. Look at verse 6. He says, if, and again, he's saying, this is not true of you, Job, because if, if it were true of you, these things wouldn't be happening. He says, if thou were pure and upright, surely now he would wake for thee, notice, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Notice verse 7. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Here's what he's telling Job. He's telling Job, Job, if you were pure and upright, then your end 
would be better than your beginning. And he is assuming, he is assuming that Job is not going to end well. But again, Bildad, in his assumption, is wrong. Let's go to the end of the book, Job chapter 42. Let's see how Job ends. Job chapter 42, look at verse 10. Job chapter 42 and verse 10. Because here's what Bildad, Bildad is saying, Job, you're not upright, you're not going to end well, because you're not pure, and you're not upright. You're not going to end well. That's how I know that you're not upright. He makes this assumption, but the assumption is wrong. Because in Job 42 and verse 10, at the end of the book, the Bible says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And by the way, Job prayed for these friends. You can pray for your friends. If, if Job can pray for these friends, you can pray for your friends. Look, if Job can pray for these friends, you can pray for your wife. If Job can pray for these friends, you can pray for your husband. If Job, with friends like these, you don't need enemies. You know what I mean? And I mean, Job prayed for these guys. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Notice, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Look at verse 12, same chapter. So the Lord blessed, because remember, Job 8, 7, Though thy beginning was small, this is what Bildad said, yet thy latter end shall be greatly increased. He's saying, your latter end is not going to be greatly increased. I'm making an assumption here, because you're not pure, because you're not upright. Here's what the Bible actually says about Job. Job 42, verse 12, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. I mean, Bildad is just completely wrong. It's just a swing and a miss, a swing and a miss, a swing and a miss. And if you could swing, you know, four times in baseball, he'd have another swing and a miss. Because he assumes that Job's not going to end well. And the Bible says that the Lord blessed Job and that the latter end of Job was more than his beginning. Go to the book of James, if you would. James chapter number 4 in the New Testament, if you begin at the end of the New Testament and head backwards, you have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, and then the book of James. And let me just say this, you say, well, you know, that's not how my life's going to be, I'm not going to be like Job, I'm not going to end up, you know, with twice as much. But you know, there's a spiritual application here, if you're saved, you will end up better than you started. In fact, you'll end up twice as rich. Say, well, how, how is that? Uh, it's called heaven. It's called an inheritance that's eternal. It's called a mansion that God will give you. It, our, our, you know, it's guaranteed. Look, it doesn't matter how bad it gets down here. It doesn't matter how low it gets down here. It doesn't matter how difficult it gets down here. Sometimes things get difficult down here. But you can always be assured of the fact that your latter end will be more than your beginning if you're saved. If you're not saved, you better live it up because it only gets worse from here. James chapter 4, look at verse 12. The Bible says this, There is one lawgiver. It's not Congress, by the way. It's God. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. The Bible says, look, God gives the law that you will be judged by, and then God is the one who judges based off his law. There is one lawgiver, it's not you, and who is able to save and destroy, that's not you. Now, with that context, James says this, 
Because you are not the lawgiver, because you are not the one who's able to save, because you're not the one who's able to destroy, he says this, he asks this question, he says, Who art thou that judges another? Now we understand judgment in the Bible, and I should probably preach a sermon on judgment at some point sometime soon. We understand that there's righteous judgment. We understand that we have to make judgment calls. We understand that we have to try the spirits. And we, we understand that in our lives, we need to make judgment calls. And we have to judge righteously. And I'm not speaking against that. That's a biblical, uh, uh, spiritual thing. But here, what James is saying, he's saying, you know, be careful about judging someone's entire life. Be careful about just writing somebody off. Be careful about just saying, oh, that guy, he'll, he'll never amount to, he just won't amount to anything. She'll just never do right. Or they'll never uh, uh, do something for He says, look, be careful about just judging someone's entire life. Because, Bill, Dad, you are not the lawgiver. You are not the one who is able to save and to destroy. And since you're not that God, who art thou that thou judges another? And here's what he's saying. And please understand this. I think that it'd be good for us to get this. The Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that there are two major judgments in the end times. There is what's known as the judgment seat of Christ, where believers will stand before Jesus Christ, and we will be judged for the things that were done in our body. For the work that we did for the Lord Jesus Christ, what sort it is, whether it's good or bad, whether it has eternal value or temporal value. There is another judgment called the great white throne where unbelievers will stand before God and be judged at the end before they get cast into the lake of fire. Please understand this. If God, if God, almighty God, all-knowing God, omnipotent, omniscient, uh, uh, immutable God waits till the end of a man's life, before he judges him? Shouldn't you do that with your spouse? Shouldn't you do that with your kids? Shouldn't you do that with your neighbor, with your pastor, with your in-laws, with your parents? I mean, if God waits to the end of someone's life, God says, let's let them finish before we judge them. Who are you and I to just write people off? Well, I just know that they... You don't know anything. You're making assumptions. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what someone's going through. You don't know what they have or haven't done. You don't know what they're struggling with. So be careful with your assumptions. Bildad. Because Bildad makes all these assumptions. I know you're in Job. Job you, uh, Bildad knows nothing about Job's end. In fact, with every assumption, he's completely wrong. He assumes that God is judging Job, and he's wrong. He assumes that Job did not pray for his children, and he's wrong. He assumes that Job is not upright, and he's wrong. He assumes that Job will not end well, and he's wrong. Here's the fifth assumption. Go back to Job chapter 8. Look at verse 8. Job chapter 8 and verse 8. Bildad makes an assumption here that the old days were better than the current days. Job chapter 8, verse 8. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age. 
Bildad says, you know, you should inquire about the former age, the old days, and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. He says, Bildad says, you should look into the history and look at the fathers. You know, people get mad at me because I preach against the founding fathers. Okay, Bildad, you know, tell you should look into the former age and search at their, for their fathers. Verse was nine. For we are but yesterday and know nothing. Here's what, here's what, here's what he's saying. Here's what Bill is saying. We were just born yesterday. That's what he's saying. He's saying we were just born recently and we know nothing. You know, and if I was Job, my responsibility that Bill would be like, speak for yourself, buddy. You know, he says, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon the earth are as shadows. He says, shall not they, who's are they? The fathers. He says, shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? Here's what Bildad is telling Job. Bildad is saying, saying, the old days, the good old days. Those were the good days. That's when they really knew. You know, that's when they really had it. You know, figure it out. Let me explain something to you. There is no new thing under the sun. Every human uh, nation, every human age has dealt with sin. And they didn't have it as figured out back then as people think. And you say, well, what back then are you talking about? I'm talking about all of them. Any of them. You, you go, go as far back as the Garden of Eden, and they were dealing with sin. But people get this idea. We're like, oh, well, back in the good old days. And Bildad is saying, you know, inquire of the former age. Well, is this a biblical concept? Go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, chapter number 7. You're there in Job. you got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, chapter number 7. And look, I, I believe that there were times that uh, were better than other times, and I understand that concept. But here's all I'm saying, and please understand this. Be careful about being one of these people who's just always discontented. We, we have a lot of this, especially in Christianity, conservative Christianity. If we could only go back to the 1950s. <laughs> let, me, let me let you in on a little secret. They had sin in the 1950s. They had all the same things in the 1950s as they do now. They had sodomites in the 1950s. They had alcohol in the 1950s. They had drugs. They had divorce. They had fornication. All those things, we have them now. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't live in the past. Here's what God's saying. God is saying, I put you on this earth at this time for a purpose. God told Esther that she was brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And you know what I believe? I believe that you and I were brought here for such a time as this. So instead of complaining about the fact that we live in California, that we live in 2020, that we have to fight all these battles and wish for the old days, why don't we just get excited about the time we have? Why don't we get excited about the battles that God has... Look, for whatever reason, God decided that we needed to live now. So live now. Quit running. Quit hiding. Quit wishing for the good old days. The good old days, back when the former age. Let me tell you about the fathers. 
I don't know whether it's the founding fathers. You know, people want to talk to us about the founding fathers. People want to talk to us about the church fathers. Let me tell you about the church fathers. Ignatius and all these guys, you know, and, and like we're supposed to learn something from them. Look here, here's the point. You and I live today. And this guy is telling Job, you know what? You should look into the old days. Those were the good old days back then. He's making an assumption, and he's wrong. Go to Matthew chapter number 5. You know, it doesn't matter what age you, you know, and, and, and I'll apply this to preaching, because this is often a, a, a way that it's applied. You know, what are we constantly being told? Right? If you talk to the, refor- the reformers, the, the, the Calvinists, the Lutherans, they're constantly trying to tell you, like, oh, no, you got to go back to Martin Luther. Read Martin Luther's writings. you got to go back to John Calvin. Read John Calvin's writings. You know, you, you got to go back to John Knox. Read John Knox's writings. Then you've got the Catholics, right? And they're telling you, no, go, no, go further than that. We don't like those guys. Go to the church fathers, right? And then fundamental Baptists are telling you, no, you got to go back to... Uh, you know, Jack Hiles and, and, and those guys. And look, I don't have anything against Jack Hiles. I like Jack Hiles. And I like Lee Roberson. I like John R. Rice. And I like uh, uh, Curtis Hudson. I like those guys. But let me just break it to you. They're not alive right now. So instead of living, oh, let's go back to the glory days. Hey, why don't we make these the glory days? Why don't we just get big? Look, the God, the God that you and I serve today is the same God Jack Hiles served. I don't think Lee Roberson had a bigger, better God than you and I have. And I like those guys. I'm not criticizing those guys. I'm criticizing the mentality of saying, well, we can't do anything today. We can't do anything today with that attitude. Somebody got excited about God and did something and quit wishing they were somewhere else. Wishing they were alive some other time. Wishing they could go do something else. You know, let me, let me explain something to you about the old preachers. And I'm not talking about Jack House and those guys. Obviously, those guys are pretty contemporary to us. You know, what are they? Charles Spurgeon. You got to read Charles Spurgeon. You know, and all these old preachers, let, let me just explain something to you, okay? Most of these old preachers that we're constantly being told about, you know, and, and being thrown in our face, they're bad preachers. And you say, well, how do you know? Here's how I know. Because you, you, do you think that 200 years from now, people are just going to be reading? There's just going to be books written about Pastor Jimenez. I, I can't get one person to write a book about me now. <laughs> Much less 200 years from now. You think there's just going to be books, just the, 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 the transcribed sermons. You know, you, know, you know why my sermons get transcribed? Because we transcribe them. Because we type them up and send them to prisoners all over the country. But you know, there's not, 200 years from now, there's not even people just transcribing, you know, reading, just this is, you know, the book, you know, at the Bible college, our textbook is just all these sermons by Charles Bridget. You know, here's the thing. You say, why do we have that, uh, of, these, of these old preachers? The reason we have them is because they were famous preachers of their day. Because they were well-liked famous, well-known preachers of the day. The reason you're not going to have a book just highlighting the wonderful life of Pastor Emmanuel 100 years from now is because people hate me. I mean, people hate me now. They don't, they don't even know me. I mean, people that know me hate me. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
you say, why, why do we know about Charles Finney? Why do we know about, you know, these old guys? Here's why. Because they were probably, you know, because 20 years from now, you know, the names you well know, John MacArthur, Joel Osteen, Billy Graham. Those are the famous guys. Those are the famous preachers. Matthew chapter 5, are you there? Look at verse 11. You say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't feel good. People hate you? Maybe I shouldn't come here. Well, you know what the Bible says, Matthew 5.11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. The word revile means to angrily insult you. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Look, this is New Testament Christianity, my friend. People are like, why, why does everybody hate you so much? Why do you get so many negative comments? Why do people don't like you? Know, you're always getting, people are always saying bad things about you. Maybe because maybe we're living out New Testament Christianity. Because Jesus said, hey, when people revile you, when they persecute you, when they say all manner of evil against you, he says, you're blessed. He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. He says, let me tell you something about real preachers. Here's what I know. 200 years ago, because our days aren't better than their days. Their days aren't better than our days. They're just different days. Here's what I know. 200 years ago, there were real preachers preaching the word of God, thundering out the word of God without compromise, rebuking sin. You say, what happened to those guys? Well, they didn't write, you know, they didn't, they didn't name famous buildings after them. They persecuted them. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Go to Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 26. Luke chapter 6, verse 26. So here's what Jesus says. When you're a good preacher, people are going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to say all manner of evil against you. And by the way, if people aren't reviling you, there's a problem. If you're not preaching... And if your preaching is not offending people, it's because you're not preaching the whole counsel of God. And I'm not saying that we should be offensive. But when we preach the Bible, no matter how nice and kind we are, when you preach the Bible, it's going to offend people. Luke 6, verse 26. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. And look, this is talking about preachers. For, for so did their fathers to the... Notice... False prophets. You know who they speak well of? They speak well of the false prophets. Look, I'm not going to get invited to pray at the inauguration of Donald Trump. I don't know who's scheduled to be invited to pray at the inauguration of Donald Trump, but I can promise you this, whatever preacher is invited is a false prophet. You say, well, how can you know, how do you know that? Because woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. And they only invite people that everyone speaks well of. So how do you know that Billy Graham was a false prophet? Because everybody loved him? Because everybody spoke well of him? Because every president would go out and meet him, and every, no matter what country he went to, the presidents would come out and meet him. And You know, that's not, that's not, New, that's not New Testament Christianity. When you're preaching the truth, people hate you for it. John the Baptist got his head cut off. The prophets were persecuted. He says, Woe unto you, and all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So don't fall into this idea that like, oh, the good old days. Pastor, you need to get a little more refined. 
You need, to, you need to read the books by the good old preachers back then. Well, here's the thing. Those preachers, all, all those books got burnt up along with those preachers because they were persecuted. Because the reason that we have books by men from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago is because they weren't good guys. They were loved by everybody. That's the problem. And I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying every single person. Uh, and, I, and I want you to understand that. Go to, go to the book of Jeremiah, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 5. From the book of Job, you have Job, Psalms, Prophets, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. I want to be clear because sometimes people take things that I say to an extreme. I'm not saying that every old preacher is a bad preacher, okay? I'm not saying that at all. I think there were some good preachers back then. And, and you know, uh, you say, how do you judge them? You judge a, a, a tree by its fruit. And, and, and the problem is that, you know, preachers, guys that were alive 500 years ago, it's hard to kind of inspect their fruit. But, you know, I'm not saying... That, the, that every old preacher is a bad preacher. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 5 says this, I will get me unto the great men and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord. So look, we, we should respect and honor great men. You know, and I, I realize when I say names like Curtis Hudson, I say names like, um, you know, Jack Howells, when I say names like Lee Roberson, people, sometimes they get upset. And they're like, well, don't you know that that guy? When I say names like John R. Rice, they're like, well, don't you know that guy? Look, everybody, nobody's perfect. Obviously, I'm sure there's things those guys all preach that I wouldn't agree with, but, you know, by and large, they were great men. They did great things, and I think we should honor them, and we should have respect for them, but just don't fall into this idea that, like, oh, the good old days. Just learn to be content. And, and by the way, let me just say this. The Bible says that there is a benefit... You know, the, the, the idea here in Scripture, go back to Job if you would, is, is that there is a benefit to current Bible preaching. You know, and again, I like to listen to the old guys. I listen to them from time to time, and I like to hear them. And again, the, guy, the guys I'm referring to as the old guys, I'm talking about sermons they preached in the 80s, okay? That wasn't that old, sorry. <laughs> you know, in the 90s, okay? But, but you know, there is a benefit to Bible preaching, because here's what you need to understand. You know what preaching is? Preaching is not just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is reading the Bible. Do you understand that? Now, you should read the Bible. I think you should read the Bible. But if I just got up here and said, you know, I'm preaching tonight, Job chapter 8, then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, and by the way, this is how some people preach, expository preaching. Here's how they preach. So here we see that Bildad began to speak. How long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shall the words of thy mouth be like strong wind? So Bildad is asking two questions to Job. Doth God pervert judgment? One of his questions was, doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? The other question was about justice. You know, and sometimes people preach like that. A lot of guys preach like that. And it's like, you're not saying anything. You're just reading the Bible and telling us what you read, like you're paraphrasing it. Okay, here's what preaching is. is when you interpret Scripture and you apply Scripture. You can read the Bible on your own. You should read the Bible on your own. Say, what what do you come here to do? You come here so that a man of God who has studied the Word of God and is filled with the Spirit of God can stand up and say, hey, let me show you what the Bible says, observation. Then let me give you interpretation, not my interpretation, but interpretation based on the context, based on the, the Scriptures, based on what the Bible says. And then let me help you apply it to your life. That's what preaching is. Now, the beauty of that, the beauty of that is that Bible preaching needs to be applied to the current time you're living in. Do you understand that? 
You can read all the Charles Spurgeon sermons you want, but they're not going to be extremely helpful to you because he lived in a different age. You know, a lot of, when you listen to good Bible preaching, a lot of it is based off the times that you're living in. You know, I'm thinking of even just like the series I'm going through on Sunday mornings, the Politics and Religion series. You know, a lot of those things that I'm teaching, I believed, of course, for years, for a long time. But the current era, the current state we're living in, with the coronavirus and with all the different things going on, you know, has kind of made some of those things click. And I've been able to connect some of those things that I don't think I would have been able to connect if we weren't living through what we're living through. Do you understand that? So when, when you hear current Bible preaching, then it can help you with your current time. Sometimes I listen to these guys from the 1980s, and, you know, they're talking about things that just don't apply. You know, they're, they're, they're preaching against President Ford. And you know, I'm sure President Ford needed to be rebuked, but, you know, that, we need to rebuke President Trump. <laughs> you know, we, just, we need to live in today. So Bible preachers don't fall into this assumption that like, oh, another time. Because, you know, people who think that way, they're never going to be satisfied. Doesn't matter when they live, doesn't matter where they go, doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter who they marry, doesn't matter what they're doing, just learn to be content. Build that assumes that the old times were better, but it's not true. The Bible says, say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. You know what? God, the all-powerful God, go back to Job chapter 8, set you here. So just be content with that and live the life that God has for you. You've been brought for a kingdom for such a time as this. So do what God has called you to do. Number six, let me give you the six. I have two more assumptions. Uh, Bildad assumes that there is a cause for Job's suffering. And this is something that's a common theme. I won't spend too much time on it. But look at verse uh, 11, Job chapter 8, verse 11. He says, can the rush... The word rush means marsh or uh, like a waterside plant. He says, can the rush grow up without mire? Mire is like a swampy ground. He says, can the flag, again a reference to a plant, grow without water? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, plants don't grow without fertilizer. Plants don't grow without mire. Plants don't grow without water. He's saying, if, if a plant's growing, there's a reason for that. There's a cause and effect. And he's telling Job... The reason that your life is being destroyed, Job, there's a reason for that. That's what he's saying. Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow up without water? Whilst it, uh, while it is yet uh, in his greenness and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. He's, he's just telling Job, you know, your problem is you forgot God and you're a hypocrite. I mean, he's just name-calling him. You know, and Job is someone who's going through some, a very difficult time in his life. Verse 14, we'll, we'll just kind of skip some of this, but he says, Whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be a spider's web? He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. He is green before the sun, and his branch shooteth for, uh, forth in his gardens. His roots are wrapped up uh, 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 about the heap, and see it the place of stone. If he destroy him from his place, then it shall deny him, saying, I have not seen thee. Behold, this is the joys of his ways, and out of the earth shall others grow. And it's kind of the same thing that they've been saying this whole time. They're just saying, you've sinned, Job. This is why this happened to you. Let me give you the last assumption, and it's this. Look at verse uh, 20. He says, Behold, God will not cast away 
a perfect man. So he, he, he told him, you know, God's judging you because uh, the assumption is that God's judging you. The assumption is that you didn't pray for your kids. The assumption is that your end is not gonna, your, your life's not going to end well. The assumption is that former days were better than today. The assumption is that there's a cause for your sin, Job. Plants don't grow without mire. Plants don't grow without water. But, you know, if you remember, there was an assumption. Assumption number three was that um, he assumed that Job was not upright. Well, this is similar. Um, the word upright means honest. It means true in your dealings. But then he says here in verse 20, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man. And the word perfect means whole or complete. It means mature. It means someone who's balanced. It's not the same word that you and I use today. When we say perfect, we mean like there's no error in it. There's nothing wrong with it. That is not the word perfect uh, in the Bible. In the Bible, that word is righteous. The word perfect means you're just balanced. You're whole. You're complete. You're mature. And here's what Bildad is saying to Job. He says, God will not cast away a perfect man. He says, look, someone who's perfect, God's not going to cast them away, Job. So God's casting you away, Job. So therefore, the assumption is that you must not be perfect. Here's a problem with that. He's, again, completely wrong. Go back to Job chapter 1. Because in the same times that God describes Job as being upright, God describes Job as being perfect. Job chapter 1 verse 1, there was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect. Job chapter 1 and verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? But there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man. Job chapter 2 and verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man. So it's just interesting that Bildad's like, You should have prayed for your kids. And then the Bible tells us he did pray for his kids. You should have been upright. And then God says he was upright. Well, you should have been perfect. And God says, Well, he was perfect. Well, your end's not going to be better than your beginning. And then God says, no, his end is better than his beginning. See, all of these are assumptions. All of these are assumptions that Bildad made. And at the time, Bildad seemed right. He had his choir with him. His two friends saying, amen. You're right. That's what it looks like to everybody else. But you know what? They're wrong. So here's the big lesson for us. Be careful with your assumptions. Don't make judgment calls without knowing everything. Don't make judgment calls without getting both sides of the story. Don't just assume, yeah, I, well, they're just so mean to me. They're always mean to me. They're mad at me. Well, do you know they're mad? Well, I just know they're mad at me. Have you talked to them? I, I don't need to talk to them. Have you asked them? I don't need to talk to them. <laughs> this is why your relationships are all messed up. Assumption after assumption after assumption after assumption. And here's all I'm telling you, Bill Dad. Our assumptions are often wrong. So instead of making assumptions, seek out the truth. Instead of making assumptions, you say, well, I can't make assumptions. Then be like God and wait till the end to judge a man for his life. Instead of making all these judgment calls against them. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, well, thank you for Bildad. Because he's a great example of just assumptions gone wrong and we often just make assumptions I know I I'm constantly just thinking things and then realizing wow I was wrong about that that's not what that person meant that's not what that person said that's not how the story went 
And Lord, help us to just realize that assumptions are, are, are very difficult things. And the reason we make them is because we don't want to take the time to bring everything into the light. But help us not to be like Bildad. Help us not to make assumptions. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.